next guest was an influential member of the history-making Ulster team in 1999, who, as we all know, became the first Irish side to win the European Cup. In this episode of the Ulster Rugby Lad podcast, I'll be talking to Mark Blair. Mark was one of a number of players brought back from the mainland to bolster the Ulster squad ahead of the European campaign. And after a shaky start, Mark became a key member of the squad and was a huge character both on and off the field. I really enjoyed chatting to Mark. And if you enjoy listening to your chat, please do me a favour and spread the word about the podcast. Mark, it's great to have you on. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much, Peter. Uh, great to be on board with you this evening. Um, and looking forward to that chat. Yeah, it's great to have you. So for anyone who doesn't know, and uh, perhaps maybe you're a younger fan of Ulster Rugby, Mark played uh, around 50, 50 something times for Ulster, is that right? Yeah, uh, 50, I think it says 53 on the wall. Yeah. It says 50, it says 55 on, I got a, a sort of, uh, when I left, we got a leaving uh, gift which was a, a big framed, uh, you know, with a number of pictures and it was all signed. It says 55, 55. times on it. So somewhere between 53 and 55 <laughs> times for Ulster. So, so um, obviously one of the crowning achievements that you had in your rugby career, and we'll sort of work not necessarily in chronological way through your career. I want to start by talking about how winning the European Cup with Ulster changed your life. I suppose that's something... Uh, you sort of reached the pinnacle there of, of of club rugby. Whenever that happened, how did it change your life? How long did it take things to go back to normal after all of that happened? Well, certainly from Ulster Rugby's perspective, it, it, it didn't go back to normal. You know, the, the, the sort of new normal was very different. Um, we'd taken a bunch of guys who just sort of come into that professional era. Um, there was obviously a number of guys returned uh, back to Ulster uh, that season uh, and obviously a number of significant players, guys who'd obviously been playing for Ireland at the time and uh, you know I'd been based over in Scotland and, and come back. I suppose the interesting part to that story is when I came back, uh, I came back from Edinburgh Rugby. I came off the back of a long-term injury, mm-hmm. um, but that was probably unbeknownst to Harry Williams and certainly unbeknownst to the squad. So they did. <laughs> so they did for the first few months question who this big fat bloke from Scotland had <laughs> come back over, uh, who was bloody useless. Um, I think <laughs> were the words that many used, um, and they couldn't quite uh, get their head around. You know, sort of my part. And it and it took me uh, a number of months and a lot of bloody hard work in the uh, on the fitness side of things to get myself back up to uh, where I needed to be. So yeah. it, interestingly, I think uh, I remember coming off the back of a couple of preseason games, and Harry Williams called me into the uh, office at the time, and in front of him, um, and considering we didn't have you know a massive squad, he had uh, he had this big page with all the names written into it. Um, and they were all written down, and he turned his pencil upside down, and, and he rubbed my name out, and he said, I had you pencils in, but uh, <laughs> you're rubbed out, and for the start of the season, I actually didn't make the, uh, not even didn't make the start in 15, I didn't make the squad. Yeah. So that, that was a little frustrating, because uh, the first game of the European season that year was against Edinburgh, so it was against my old club, so... I actually had to sit in the uh, yeah. sit in the stands and, even, and watch it. That's even more awkward. Did you get a bit of banter from your teammates and stuff about? Well, that? yeah, 
Well, of course. I mean, I was getting it from bloody both sides, wasn't it? Because the Ulster boys were were giving me, you know, pelters for for not being in good shape, and the Edinburgh boys were going, "Well, why the hell did you leave us and go back here if you can't even get in the team?" Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So it was it was a, it was a challenge to start with, and uh, yeah, I, I copped an awful lot of flack. Uh, and at one point in time, I think I was sitting at home uh, with my wife thinking to myself, well, what have I done? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I, I heard you were you were sort of on the the fringes, or certainly Scotland had their eye on you in terms of going on to play yeah. for them. So did you go, so even more so, you're thinking, that's my chance at international rugby, and I've moved back to Ulster. Did you, did you have regrets immediately when you came back? Yeah. Well, it was one of those funny ones. I played, and these go back to the days of, of international trials. So I yeah. played in the Scotland trial in 1998. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so uh, 97-98 season was my last in, in Scotland, and then obviously coming back for the, the 98-99 season. Uh, and I played in a trial game with in, in for Scotland. And I had actually, and in those days we used to train as a squad. So obviously I was training in, in the national, in the Scotland national squad, and these things. And it was really, this was this was coming into the uh, the start of '98. And actually at that point is when Ulster started. We started having conversations about moving back there. So I made the decision when I got because I got selected uh, into the Scotland A squad. Uh, but I made the decision then because I was going to move back to Ulster to not be involved in that. Because um, at that point in time, I just wasn't, you know, wasn't sure whether or not what impact that would have, one, on, on, on my international career in Scotland, if there was going to be one, and one, whether or not it would, you know, obviously it would have influenced him being able to play for Ireland. Yeah. So I, I made a decision not to sort of go down that route, um, even though, as I said, played in that trial and things like that, came back. And then, of course, as you said, I was sitting there thinking to myself, <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe not the best decision I've made, but but I'm saying that as well as you know, I had a point to prove, uh, and I think the more that uh, you know, rather than being frustrated by it, it just got me more motivated. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because a, a lot of the guys, um, obviously at Ulster at the time, I'd known a number of these guys coming through the system, playing sort of age grade rugby, coming through you know Irish rugby. So I, you know, I just wanted to show and prove. Probably just everybody that actually it was uh, that was a worthwhile signing. Yeah, because there are a few big names moved back around the time. She had like David Humphreys coming back. You had Mark McCall, Johnny yep. Bell, and then yourself yep. as well. So, I mean, it's bringing back the, the reinforcements for this campaign. And you say you went into the squad and you got a bit of flack. What what was the injury and sort of what what made you sort of alluded to it there, but there was a bit of a downturn in form. What what happened there that sort of uh, <laughs> caused that? Well, I, I would love to say that it was something rugby related. Uh, for for all the listeners out there who uh, do recall or don't recall, for all the younger uh, folk back there, uh, professional rugby in the early days was very limited to the number of games you had in the season. You only played you know, 10 or 11 games in, in the season. So when, you, you know, you talk about it now uh, in terms of number of caps, you can rattle up 50 caps in two seasons quite easily. Whereas in those days you didn't. So actually what had happened was I was playing for Edinburgh and I was contracted and we were full-time professional with Edinburgh. And we'd actually finished up the season. And uh, I actually got injured playing five-a-side football. <laughs> 
<laughs> because because basically he got to past all the games of the season, so there really wasn't much to do. So instead of actually, you'd do some rugby stuff, we'd do our gym stuff, but then we'd go and we'd do different stuff. We'd play basketball or we didn't play, play five-a-side football. Uh, went over my ankle very badly, uh, tore all the ligaments. And so couldn't do anything uh, in terms of, you know, any real sort of fitness stuff because obviously I couldn't walk, I couldn't run, couldn't do anything like that. So um, I was probably one or two kgs overweight when I came back to Ulster um, for the start of pre-season. And uh, yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, look, it was interesting. It was it was one of those things. It just uh, happened to be. Uh, John Kinnear was the team manager at the time, and and um, a couple of John's young fellas uh, had come over to university uh, and and uh, were in university in Edinburgh, and uh, they had obviously probably uh, picked me up a little bit in terms of you know I was playing for Edinburgh at the time and I was playing well and and these sort of things. So. I went back uh, there, uh, but I don't think John had fully <laughs> explained the situation to Harry, uh, obviously. And, and this is the, the early days of professionalism. I'm sure there wasn't too much due diligence done in terms yeah, of yeah. You know, that sort of stuff. So I went back and, uh, yeah, it, yeah. Was, uh, it was an interesting time. <laughs> That's, um, it's interesting what you're saying there about sort of amateurism and professionalism. Your career has spanned both eras. Um, obviously you're playing professional rugby in Edinburgh but there must have been a period of time before that where you're just sort of studying as well you went to study there didn't you as well and, yeah uh, I, I went to university I came across to Harriet Watt I studied some civil engineering uh, from 92 to 96 um, I then I then decided funny actually you know again one of these things where when I finished up uni I took off and went down to New Zealand um, and had a couple of seasons down in New Zealand, yeah, toing and froing, and actually got offered my first professional contract from Edinburgh while I was in New Zealand. Uh, so I had I had a great uh, had a great time uh, from. <laughs> well, I really didn't do any work from uh, when I you know from all my time at university and coming into the professional game. I didn't yeah. really know what work was. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because then I, then I had a ten year sort of rugby career on top of that, so. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, like, I mean, from my perspective, it was absolutely fantastic. I, uh, I, I've i benefited uh, from that. I had a couple of seasons out in Canada while I was uh, at university and things as well. I spent some summers out there playing some rugby. So I really did, uh, you know, rugby was a passion. Yeah. And uh, I think I went about five years without even having a preseason uh, because I just went from one season to the next to the next. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, in the days when the seasons weren't as long as they are now, yeah, so it wasn't as many games, so you're able just to keep on, uh, keep on playing as sort of there'd be some overlap with well different sports, obviously, but also uh, if you're off playing in New Zealand, you could come straight back in, and you you wouldn't be as wrecked physically as maybe players would now. Um, and and see in terms of that, like a lot of people listening. Uh, they won't have, myself included, really won't have many con- uh, any concept of how amateurism and professionalism overlapped and what that looked looked like in practice. So you had some guys that they're working part-time, maybe playing for Ulster as well. Whenever you came back, obviously you're playing with guys, some of of which were amateurs and some were professional. 
how, how, how different was it? And how did you see the game change and progress in terms of day-to-day? How has the game changed in your, in your time at Ulster? Obviously, you were there till 2003 or something that you actually yeah. moved on from Ulster. But how, how did you see the game change in those sort of uh, four or five years? Interestingly, I think uh, certainly from the, the perspective in Edinburgh, um, I think in those re- in that sort of first year uh, of of sort of full professionalism, it was sort of interesting because we went through initially um, because it was not your job uh, with Edinburgh. We actually were told that we would go in from you work from nine to five, and for about three months we did that until they found out that actually just not even possible. Guys just were absolutely knackered. Yeah. You know, you were just you were you were hanging around for the sake of hanging around and these sort of things. Yeah, even to the point that Edinburgh. Uh, trained at Murrayfield and the reality of it was so funny because uh, the all the office staff who worked for the SRU in Murrayfield had to wear a shirt and tie to work uh, well certainly for the obviously just for the, the men that worked there for the ladies they obviously had to dress sort of more formally yeah so they decided that all the players had to wear a shirt and tie to work which was kind of ridiculous because you drove up in a shirt and tie you parked at the car park you walk into the change room you got changed, you went outside, you trained or you went to the gym, yeah. you got showered up and you put a shirt and tie back on to walk sort of 50 <laughs> metres to go to your car yeah. and get in your car and go. So, yeah. you know, it was just that the sort of, those were the early days of sort of that mentality of what professionalism actually looked like. Yeah, The guys of today would laugh at that and think, like, why would you do, these guys all rock up in their training gear yeah. ready to go or, you know, track seats or whatever it is. So that was that. I think the changing point really came, I suppose, from an Ulster perspective, where it was a decision was made, really driven by the players um, and the senior players, the likes of Mark McCall and, and Humph and Andy Ward and the boys, where actually we were training, we were really training around the part-time guys. So we were training in the evenings to accommodate them. They were coming in early mornings and our training sessions were really sort of geared up. Where we did train without them at times, we did have training sessions around them. And I think the point came where the, the senior players said, look, you know, this just doesn't work. Um, and it was at that point, actually, I think we played a couple of games in the season. And that was probably the changing point. And for me, probably, uh, was significant for me because Murta Ray, who was probably starting ahead of me, uh, Murta was uh, one of the part-time players. Yeah. Um, so it sort of changed um, it put the pressure back on the part-time guys because we started training sort of full-time during the day yeah. um, there, w- there wasn't sort of the evening sessions anymore and the part-time players had to sort of try and conform more to the, the full-time guys which gave me an op- probably more of an opportunity then because I was training full-time with the team and things So, and then I got my opportunity um, to start I think it was a way to Ebbeville I, I sat on the bench for a couple of games and then it the change had come and I got the chance to start. So I think that was the difference. I think yeah. it was just a realisation that it couldn't really be uh, amateur and professional. Yeah, it, it sort of had to be professional. Yeah. Uh, and I think after that, I don't think the following season, I don't think there was any amateurs or, or, or sort of part-time players in the squad. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting what you're saying there about that mentality as well. Like the, Getting getting used to that, and I knew Harry Williams himself. He was my headmaster at primary school, <laughs> and when I was sort of uh, going through primary school, and the next thing he was the head coach of Ulster and winning the European Cup, and so just these people from sort of ordinary backgrounds going on to achieve uh, 
this amazing feat with Ulster. It was was amazing. Uh, in terms of what you're saying about Murder Ray and stuff like that, and Harry Williams calling you in, rubbing your name out, um, you're saying a, a lot of the conversations I, I have with, with players in these interviews revolves around setbacks and failure, perceived failures or setbacks like that, spurring you on to something greater, spurring you on yeah. to more success. Would you say that that moment was a, was a turning point for you, genuinely? I know you're laughing about it and stuff, but did, oh, absolutely. At, the, at the time, did that really, that was a real kick in the teeth, I suppose? Um, I think like all things, I think there's always a perception in, in professional sport that it's fantastic and it's great and it's wonderful. And, you know, it, it's 100% a dream job, but it comes with its, uh, it certainly comes with its ups and downs. And I think one of the big challenges for, for all players at all levels, it doesn't matter where, uh, to what level you reach, the disappointments come, you know, and, and you know, it, 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 whether it be at, even at, at sort of at club level, or whether it be a provincial level or, or or international level, it's tough and it's not easy and it's an emotional roller coaster because you've got to understand you spend all week training to you know um, to get selected, yeah. and then if you get selected, you spend all your time worrying about how you're going to play. Then you play, then you worry about how you've played, and then you worry about whether that's going to influence selection again for the following week. Yeah. So it's just this sort of emotional roller coaster. And I think when we look back at the the, the 1999 squad that we had there's a few things that happened along the way um that's you know and you need those good bits of fortune we had very few injuries that season uh obviously mark mccall um and probably jimmy topping were the two that were long-term injuries that year um obviously that was the end of of mark's career following that um disappointingly because he never really got a chance to 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 get started and uh, and Jimmy, who'd obviously been in the Irish team at that point, had, had picked up um, had picked up an injury and, and had been out for um, the majority of of the certainly the European season. Uh, so we were very fortunate in that sense that we were we were um, uh, injury free pretty much. And the other thing as well is is just the the nature of the draw and the way that the games panned out and the results and and bits and pieces. Just it, it went our way. Uh, yeah, but yeah. that's but that's what you need to win uh, to win trophies. And today, I mean, it's even uh, it's even tougher. Yeah, it, it must have been. So it it was twenty years, just over twenty years ago. Um, uh, when that Tell me about happened. it. I, <laughs> well, I'll make you feel really old now because I I was there was thirty thousand fans travelled down. I was among them. I was nine years old at the time. I remember, <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching the game and it, it, it's a bit like, I was going to say it's a bit like being a Man United fan. When I, That was my first sort of experience of Ulster. And yep. I thought, we, well, at the time we were the best team in Europe and uh, I sort of got my hooks up for the, for the years that were to come. And it was, it was an amazing thing. It captured everyone's imagination. I think every team thereafter has been held to that standard in terms of what we what we can achieve uh, as a province and um yeah. it's been ulster rugby has been i think an enormous force for good in the in the province it's been a uniting force um but in, t- in terms of in terms of that experience what 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 was so you mentioned a couple of things there what was so special about that team you talked about good fortune and stuff like that but there's it's, there's no doubt there's some special players in that team there must have been a special mentality as well uh, within that squad 
Yeah, I think so. I think, first and foremost, it was a squad based on a lot of players of a very similar age. Um, there wasn't a lot of... <laughs> and and he'll, 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 he'll probably laugh if he heard it. Apart from Rab Urban, <laughs> who, who was a lot older than, than, than everybody else at the time. Yeah. Um, but actually, the age... Sorry, that's physical age, by the way, not mentally age for Rab. So, um, but the the reality was that you know there was a lot of guys of a of a similar age, um, and we were all pretty much in a sort of similar position. Uh, you know, we, it, there wasn't uh, there wasn't a lot of kids around at the time. You know, we we all had sort of wives or girlfriends at the time, so there was a good sort of social aspect to that as well. But we were very. I think everybody there was no. Although they are superstars now, they were never really perceived as superstars at the time. Yeah. So we were a, a team made up of, of really quality guys who just wanted to play together, who enjoyed playing together, who, you know, we just, we, we had a good laugh as much as anything else. We really just enjoyed ourselves. And you got to remember, this is the early days of professionalism as well. It's, it, it, you know, <laughs> we, we played an awful lot of golf. You know, you only had, and, and for all the listeners out there that don't understand, there wasn't a Celtic League, you know, there wasn't, um, you know, there wasn't the Cups that there are now and, and these things. Effectively, what you had was you had the Interprovincial Championship, mm-hmm. so you played against the provinces, and then you had your your uh, European Cup. So you had six teams in a group. So you had, uh, you know, you played, um, sorry, yeah, there was, no, sorry, four teams in a group, and you played your six games. So you had your interprovincial games and you had, uh, you know, your six European Cup games. And depending on whether you qualified to go any further in Europe, that's what you had. Yeah. So, it, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't like the seasons are now. Um, so, you know, when we talk about those sort of days, we were very close to that. But, you know, we, we spent a lot of social time together as well yeah. because we had the opportunity to. Yeah, so it's. Uh, I'd say that's important in any squad that there's um, there's that connection, there's that friendship between members of the squad. Have you kept that up with the guys in that squad? Like, are there guys you still keep in touch with to this day? Um, yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. All, all to be honest, you pretty much pretty much all the guys. I think like there's different there's different guys in different circumstances, but uh, yeah, I mean I. Um, I suppose uh, with my connections following on from uh, when I finished up playing, and it's probably something we'll touch on later on about that sort of uh, transition out of sport. Uh, I, after a period of time, came back and worked for the RFU. So I headed up uh, the development program for for obviously young Irish talent outside of Ireland and in the exiles. Yeah. So actually, it was funny because then my involvement again started came back round to lots of discussions with the likes of um, the Mark McCalls and the Davy Humphreys and the Johnny Bells and, and guys that were involved, uh, Alan Clarks and things that were involved, you know, who got back involved in rugby again, yeah. not only just uh, in Ireland, but but outside of Ireland as well. So those connections were there. But I, I've always, you know, I think for the guys like myself and, and Tony McGuarter and Jan Cunningham and Shelley Coulter and, and all these guys, we've always remained close. We, you know, we always still catch up I, I don't get back home too often but when I do try to catch up with some of the guys um, there but again probably because they're no different than probably people at school and things like that all your school pals these are all pals that we yeah. I mean let's let's be brutally honest got paid to hang out and 
mess around together with, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and okay, yeah, the outcome was we had to play some rugby at the end of the week, <laughs> but really, but really was, you know, we were uh, we were probably in each other's pockets a lot of the time yeah. with that. You know, you spend an awful lot of time together. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's good to hear because uh, obviously you had that shared experience of doing something amazing and. Uh, to stay in touch with those guys and reminisce from time to time, I'm sure is is amazing. And to to have to have had that career as well that you can always look back on and um, uh, you know you've been part of something special. And obviously, then after after that, that historic uh, that historic moment lifting the cup, um, you, you remained at Ulster for the next uh, few years. And then yeah. it must have been a really a difficult decision to move away and go and play in France and uh, and sort of how hard was that and um, how did you come to that decision? Well, a couple, of, probably a few things. I that was uh, that was five seasons there. I'd been offered another uh, another year to play there. Um, I think it just probably like a, a lot of things. It was probably a changing of the guard. I suppose if we if we if if I reflect back on when I when I moved back to uh, back to Ulster. Uh, you know, um, I played for Ireland. Things. It was a tough. It was a tough gig, and probably in many ways, if you looked at the, particularly in the second row department of, of Scottish rugby, I'd have probably, you know, probably could have gone on and played for Scotland, probably because there wasn't as many good second rows in Scottish rugby as there was in Irish rugby at, at the time. And then, you know, five years into being there, um, and I'd, you know, I'd played for Ireland for. Three of those seasons, I got badly injured. Um, that sort of uh, probably at a time where things were going really well. Uh, I had a fractured dislocation on my wrist, uh, which wasn't a pleasant thing at all. Uh, and that was ten weeks in plaster, and then probably about four months out after that. So that was a long old comeback. Uh, uh, come back from that, and I think just a, a changing of the guard in terms of the young fellas coming through, the Paul O'Connells and the Donegal and Callahans and. These sort of guys, and and um, you know, there was there was a lot of a lot of competition in 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 that position. So for me, I just felt it was a, a good opportunity. My agent had uh, got me an offer down in France, and I think we just I I I travelled a lot and played rugby and things, and I enjoyed the experience. I'm a very social person, and I like meeting people. So it was just for me, it was a good opportunity to uh, go and experience something different. Yeah, yeah. And um, you were saying there about you sort of had uh, players coming through the ranks as well. Jeremy Davidson came through yeah. Ulster. And you you were a, a guy who was sort of on the verge of breaking into that Irish squad. Do you ever, obviously you had a fantastic career and uh, had, had a great time of it for, uh, from what you were saying. Do you ever look back on any and have any regrets about, do you think you could have played for Ireland? I know you played Ireland A. Think you could have played for for Ireland? Do you ever do you ever go? Oh, what could have been? Of course you do, but I mean, not not regrets in that sense. Um, I was probably one of life's uh, players that enjoyed and enjoyed what I did. Uh, you know, could I have been more professionally? Yeah, of course I could have. Uh, could I have done things differently? Could I have, I have played in a way that was probably you know. I, <laughs> people have sort of said to me, probably today's game is more suited to the way that I like to play. Rather than than in yeah. those days where, and and second, you know, I, I was I was classed as a small second row in those days, uh, so really I didn't suit the mould of what uh, you know international rugby wanted probably from their from their players at that time. 
And I think I was probably, you know, three or four or five years sort of um, before the game sort of more evolved into, you know, uh, that sort of more, I wouldn't say I wasn't necessarily class as an athletic, but that more sort of, didn't you didn't have to be six foot eight and you didn't have to be 20 stone and, and these sort of things. So the days of moving away from that and more to ball playing uh, players, uh, you know, that's sort of, that, that's evolved. And if you look at, if you look at the game now, I mean, you know, positionally wise, every, everybody plays rugby, no yeah. matter what position you are. Whereas I think certainly coming out of the, the amateur days into the professional days, there was a sort of uh, perception of what positions, you know, should and shouldn't do. Yeah, because I, I remember you was playing through that partnership with you and Guy Longwell. Guy Longwell would probably fit that mold of the more traditional second row in the engine yeah. room, getting yeah. around, not necessarily touching the ball all that much. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> no, no bad thing. Uh, but you, you, you were you were keen to to get your hands on the ball, carry a bit, and express yeah. yourself. Yes. Fair to say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I couldn't get it, actually. And uh, Gary's a great pal of mine. And it's funny because we used to room together a lot because obviously, you know, they sort of did that positionally wise. And I think at times Gary would say to me, is, look, you know, if he didn't have to touch the ball in the game, he'd be happy. And if I, I would say if I didn't touch the ball in the game, I'd be bloody unhappy <laughs> because I, 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 didn't, I didn't see the point of it. You know, it, 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 you know, the whole point of it for me was getting your hands on the ball, finding yeah. open space and... Uh, you know, and and enjoying that aspect of it. But look, you know, each to their own. You know, it, it wasn't Gary's game. He was much more. You know, it was great. He could he could go and hit all the rocks that, that I didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's a good partnership, man. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I know well, that's what you need. You need balance. And as you say, these days you've got tight head props and all carrying the ball frequently and being some of the yeah. the the guys who they look to, to to carry the ball, which I suppose wouldn't have been the same back in the day so it just goes to show how much the game has changed and um, uh, as you say maybe if you'd been born slightly later it would have been you could have been playing uh, sort of a, a different different position maybe uh, being shifted into the back row or yeah uh, absolutely maybe, maybe 10 if you had your way <laughs> no, oh dear, no. Yes, absolutely. As I said, I'm a I'm a back trap in a forward body. Although uh, mo- mo- most people would say you're a forward trap in the back's body, but that's another story. <laughs> well, you, you you made you made a good career of it, and you went to went to France, and then um, yeah, I went uh, down to I went down to Narbonne in France. Yeah, um, played down there, and then. Uh, came back up to finish off my career uh, with the border border reavers um, up in Scotland. My wife is Scottish, so if you marry a, a Scotswoman, it's actually written into your contract that you have to live in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're stuck there now, anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and um, say in terms of that uh, transition then out of the game, when did you decide that I've had enough? That's me and. How easy was that transition, or how difficult was it to, to go on to something new, having had this great time, as you say, being paid to play with your mates and uh, to go into something, uh, maybe not immediately into your standard day job, but w- what was that like? Yeah, look, it, it was it was difficult. I think the decision came, um, and for all those players in, in my era that ever came to play, uh, rugby in Gala Shields, uh, in you know in Scotland when I was playing for the uh, for the Borders, will understand <laughs> it's a bloody bleak place. And 
you you tried filming the back pitches down there in the wet and the rain all the time, and uh, I think the decision from my perspective was at the age of thirty five that you know it, it wasn't the playing that was the problem; it was yeah. the training and the fact that it was taking longer and longer to recover yeah. uh, between games um, was a sort of decision that, that I had sort of come to that you know what I'd had a good old uh, time. But I, I'd been offered a couple of opportunities for some championship clubs um, down in England after that to go and in fact to, to go as, as player coach and things um down down to Rotherham Andre Bester had been on the phone to me to go down there as, as player coach and I I, I travelled and I, I dragged Kim around the world with me um you know in terms of, of rugby wise and I think that was the point in time that it was to say right you know actually it's time now to settle down and actually yeah. start about you know I, I had been thinking about life after rugby for the idea being is when I came back to the borders, I had a two-year contract, and the idea was then to, um, you know, use those two years to start to figure out what life looked like after rugby. Um, that wasn't actually that easy. Uh, it's it's easy to talk about, but it's uh, it's more difficult, um, you know, because even though you think you've got the time, you're still tired, you're still training, you're still playing, and trying to, you know, it's always like, yeah, I'll think about that next week. Yeah. So. Finished up, um, went into the world of, of building uh, with my father, went into the business with my father-in-law, uh, building uh, property development stuff, bits and pieces like that. Um, worked with him for a while and then set up myself with another ex-professional uh, player, a guy Stuart Moffat. We set up our own um, property development company, which took off really nicely. Uh, and then the good old recession hit <laughs> in 2008. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically... Basically, at that point, uh, the, the building world just sort of fell apart. Now, we were, we were quite fortunate. We were only really getting started into it. We hadn't, uh, you know, we hadn't invested uh, a lot of time and effort and money into the whole thing. So we got away, we got out of it quite lightly. Uh, the yeah. properties that we did have, we managed to, to sell, um, you know, at, at sort of market value. So we, we weren't the ones that got sort of hit badly for that. But it definitely did at that point then, you know, change the sort of, uh, mindset but uh, look it isn't any different and, and that transition is is really tough no matter whether you've got something new to go to or not the difficulty being is is you're you're absolutely doing something that you're passionate about and you love yeah and you're leaving that and coming into something that even if you're even if you think you're passionate about this the world of work is very different than the world of sport yeah, yeah. so that, that that's that's the difficulty and you made the transition then back into a rugby role as a as you're talking there about the um, uh, working with exiles and, and looking for yeah. sort of talent outside of Ireland. What 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 form did that role take? Is it basically scouting players? Was that, yes, yeah. that actually came. I I was very fortunate when I when I finished playing. Um, I did they have a competition out in Bermuda? They have the World Rugby Classics out there. Uh, so I managed to do 10 years of, of those as well. Um, uh, and I think I even got too old for that. So when you're getting too old for the uh, for the vet stuff, you really know your time's up. <laughs> but um, yeah, there was a uh, guy, John O'Driscoll, um, who used to come on there. John obviously played for Ireland and things. And uh, John was based uh, in Manchester. And he actually approached me while I was out in Bermuda about a role that, that had come up. Uh, there was a guy, John Hunter, used to do it. And John was senior at that point and he was retiring and these things. And so they were, they were looking for somebody to take up that role. 
So I, um, yeah, I, I was quite interested because obviously at that point, uh, you know, we were in 2000 and I think 2009 at this point, you know, and the recession really had sort of hit home at this point. And so he, he said to me, look, would you be interested? And I said, yeah, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's all about. So, uh, yeah, had some meetings with the IRFU, went for an interview in, in good old fashion. Um, the interview was in London and they said to me, uh, yeah, make your way down to London and um, you know for this interview. And I said, uh, I'm in Scotland. I'm in Edinburgh. I says, if you want me to make the interview, just tell me when you've booked my flights. <laughs> so I think uh, Eddie Wigglesworth, I think at the time was uh, was running there. If you so, I'm not sure whether he thought that was a good thing or a bad thing, but they did. They paid for my flights. Nice. I flew down and uh, yeah. I, Fortunately enough, probably for them, maybe because they paid for my flights, they give me the job. <laughs> so yeah, so that was so that was really scouting. Yeah, that was scouting young talent for uh, for Irish rugby. The likes of which are Kieran Marmion, yeah. Kieran Treadwell. Um, you know the Frankie Taggarts this world were there. Uh, Sammy Arnold. So all, these are the guys that have sort of you know that we brought through the system. So. Yeah, oh, look, it was it was it was it was it was fantastic. It was great to supposed to be back involved in the professional game. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm back to back to be involved again with Irish rugby. Yeah, and tell tell me a wee bit more. We obviously talked there at the very start about what you're doing now, but just um, could you explain a wee bit about your your business now, what you're doing? Yeah, so so my business now is a, a company called Effective Now, um, and basically is we are. <laughs> Ronsil was taken, so we couldn't use that name, but it's it's basically that. It's about, we are a business coaching consultancy, which helps small businesses um, to be more effective. So we work uh, with their people um, and uh, to help them uh, as an organization in terms of employee engagement, sort of strategic success and things like that to, to help small businesses uh, grow. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so that's... Uh, that's what I do for a living these days, uh, which is uh, look, it's 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 driven by myself and my business partner, and, uh, someone I love doing, and and actually, the the learnings from sport are really what drives it. To yeah. be honest with you, yeah. uh, and the whole piece really, particularly around that team uh, team ethic and teamwork piece uh, that that being involved in sport really gives you that uh, that experience yeah these are these are transferable skills that obviously translate over to the the business world um and yeah it's good to see i know for rugby players it's um it, it can be hard to find something which fits the bill um but it sounds like you you find something there which you, you, can, you can actually apply what you've learned and and the uh, the principles uh, in terms of playing in a squad and teamwork and and working most effectively um uh, yeah. in a business context so um no it sounds, it sounds interesting what you're doing and do, do you keep up with ulster rugby do you still watch that on a regular obviously not not at the minute um but do you do you, um whenever it's on would you would you follow them and um uh yeah what, what do you make of the, the the current crop of players that we have yeah look of course i do uh you know always will um always have and always will do um yeah look and i think particularly uh, I think there was definitely some influences from, you know, an Exiles perspective when I was working there, you know, of pushing players uh, towards Ulster as well. Um, so, yeah, obviously there, uh, Dan McFarland and myself played Exiles rugby together uh, many, 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 many moons ago. 
when I first came across to Scotland, uh, I was involved in the Excel setup uh, back then. It's been going for many years. So, uh, you know, I played with Dan back then. So, yeah, look, I mean, I think there's 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 always been an affiliation uh, for myself there and obviously playing there as well and and then being involved with the IRFU. It's been fantastic. But, look, I think two, two things are, is from an Ulster perspective, is we haven't quite achieved what the potential is, but I don't think that's necessarily just because we've underachieved. I think the nature of the game has changed. I think the competitiveness... Mm. Is, is huge you know I, I think to actually win anything these days is, is really tough you know um leinster have the resources there to do that and i think if you look at the world of of, of results particularly say in europe it's it's those teams that have the the bigger resources yeah that uh, that can do that ulster have been hugely competitive particularly in the last in the last you know half dozen years been hugely competitive uh, uh, you know uh, in in those arenas, which has been fantastic, and I think it you know at times I I know from an Ulster perspective and as an Ulster supporter and a fan and these things, we you know we want results and we want trophies and we want to win, but the reality being is for me is I'm just proud that you know Ulster rugby does what it does so well, yeah. um you know considering you know considering the resources that we do have you know being mm-hmm. a small province. And I think that, you know, even going back to the nature of, you only have to look at club rugby, you know. If you look at the club rugby, all our league rugby, you know, we don't have, uh, you know, we don't have the the teams that we used to have in there. Yeah. You know, that's dominated by Leinster teams and, and Munster teams. And I think the, the challenge is, is always going to be just that homegrown talent is always yeah. going to be hard to come by. But some of the, some of the young fellas coming through, I mean, Ulster Rugby does a fantastic job because some of the guys coming through are world class. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting what you're saying about, well, uh, as, as a man who has who's competed at the top level in, in Europe and, and uh, reached the pinnacle of that, but also as someone who uh, has spent part of, part of their career identifying talent, what do you think Ulster, this is a million dollar question, uh, what do you think Ulster need to do to compete with the likes of Leinster and those very top teams? I know it's a question partly of resource, but is there anything that Ulster could be doing? Um, and do you think realistically these guys coming through could, um, there's a fantastic crop of young players coming through, as you say, some very exciting talent. Do you think it's realistic to expect us to compete at that very top level in Europe in the next, it might be the next two to three years? I think the challenge always comes with this stuff is is when you bring the young players through because unfortunately that comes with a little bit of sacrifice in terms of, of the short-term success. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's trying to get that balance right, so of short-term success against long-term success. So do you sort of sacrifice the fact that you may not win anything for a couple of seasons, but you actually start to develop a team that plays together, that understand each other, that, that even going back to that 99 piece, that sort of nearly become inseparable in many yeah. ways and actually do you, do you start to do that at what point do you then start bringing out the the, the senior guys more experienced guys you're probably at the end of their career you know when do you when do you start you know bringing them out and bringing the young fellas in because it's always mm-hmm. difficult you know and there's always you know particularly when it comes to the big games and the european cup games you know the nature of it is it's 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 as simple as this if you don't win you don't progress yeah so there isn't in the league 
you know, in the, in the Pro 14, it's slightly different where you can play some of these younger guys more often because you've got a longer period of time. Within yeah. Europe, you don't have that. You know, you've got, you've got the number of games you've got. And, and if you don't qualify to get out of the league, out, out, of, the, out of your group, you know, it's season over. So yeah. it's a real challenge. But I think, no, like I, I wouldn't, and I can't really think of anywhere to fault Ulster rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I, I know there's, there's always... There's always going to be challenges around, you know, let's talk about grassroots rugby and, and development of young players and bringing them through and academy structures and, and you know, uh, these sort of things. I think the biggest challenge for that is, is that it's never, it, there's, there's no such thing as perfection. And, and by the way, rugby is a game of opinions and everybody's going to have a different opinion. There's, there's going to be uh, you fans and supporters who will think one player is better than another player. There's yeah. going to be coaches and managers who think, other players are better than that. So ultimately, um, when you look at a coaching setup, you know, the coaches are the ones that have been empowered to make those decisions and they're yeah. going to select players that they feel are best. Yeah. So from a supporter's perspective, I get it. We all sit and, you know, if you were asked to pick your best ever, you know, Ulster 15, I would say you'd, you'd be hard pushed to find two people who would have the same 15 yeah. players, uh, you know, in, the, in their selection. I mean, obviously I'd be in all their selections for, for definite, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the reality of it is, is that you know, rugby's a game of opinions, and, and yeah. we've all got different ones. But I think certainly from Ulster's perspective, good young players coming through, and I think Irish rugby. I, I do believe for Ireland to be as competitive as it has been, I think they're doing the right things. I, I know people will look at this sort of the move in terms of the provincial uh, players within Irish rugby now that wouldn't have happened in our day. Guys didn't move from one province to the other. Mm. They're doing that now. I probably was part of that process in the early days when we talked about um, when we talked about that in the academy level because mm-hmm. the we had used to work with I used to work with four academy managers and yeah. myself as as the sort of exiles manager and we used to look at you know um, uh, the players that were coming through Irish rugby and their progression plans and these sort of things and actually look at where there was players maybe in one province uh, and where other they, they had a multitude of players in a certain position where other provinces didn't. Yeah. And then we looked to, to see where actually the, the balance could be made. So I know we look at, uh, you know, Ulster rugby and we think, yeah, there's a, there's a fair few Leinster guys in there. But I think if you look at it from that perspective, it's good for Irish rugby as a whole. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's good for, for uh, Ulster rugby. And I think that's the way the, the professional game's going. Um, I hope it never heads quite to the football side of things, uh, you know, where it's just, you know, teams, it doesn't matter where they play. There's not, I mean, if you go to, if you go to Liverpool, there's probably, I'm not sure there's anybody actually from Liverpool that plays for Liverpool. Yeah. But you know what I mean? So, uh, but yeah, like Ulster rugby is in a good place. Um, and I think that it just needs to keep doing what it's doing. Yeah. Uh, Johnny, Johnny Petrie. Um, and what I love about that is I, I know uh, Johnny well from his days in Scotland and, and mm. he came out to Bermuda as well. Uh, you know, th- th- that's the next generation of of the mindset that needs to come through. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was delighted to see Ulster Rugby bringing them on. You know, to to lead that up, yeah. because that's what we need. We need yeah. the next generation of 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 professionals. Uh, the, the the amateurs, I suppose, are nearly gone from the game. Yeah, you know, it's it's the ex professional guys now coming back into it yeah. that are leading leading um, leading the charge, as I say. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's definitely a good time for Ulster, and even in terms of the atmosphere around the place, uh, judging from from speaking to some of the players, 
there seems to be a genuine uh, camaraderie between them. Yeah, just a, it's a happier place to play. I think everyone genuinely seems to get along. What you're saying in terms of the, the guys coming up from Leinster, I think that's always been, you know, for, for, the, for the last number of years when Ulster were at their most successful, we've had uh, guys coming in from elsewhere. And that, uh, I think to, to succeed in the modern game, you need that mix of local talent mixed with world-class uh, talent from, uh, well, outside, uh, uh, outside Ireland completely, but also uh, getting guys like Marty Moore, Jack McGrath uh, in from Leinster, I think is a huge, uh, of huge benefit uh, to Ulster. And we were talking about the, the effect this, uh, this virus is all having, uh, is going to have on rugby. In ter- obviously, it's it's not ideal at all. But if you look at the young guys coming through that squad, give them six months to bulk up and and um, progress uh, in that period. They could be coming in, depending what happens next season, a lot of those guys could come into the squad and, and really excel. So uh, from that perspective... It may it may help accelerate their progression somewhat uh, in terms of bringing this this next generation crop of, of talent into the team. So, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly positive. I think uh, it'll start at the minute, and I think as you say, Johnny Petrie has been has been great, and Dan McFarland has changed the culture a, a lot around yeah. uh, around Ulster. They've got that edge now in terms of fighting for every inch and. Um, I think as fans, you, you can sense that, um, which has been which has been great, and it's uh, down to guys like yourself. Those expectations have been raised that we should be competing at the top level in Europe, and and hopefully in the next uh, the next two or three years, we'll be we'll be back to that again. A couple of points, just as one, I think the 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 expectations of Ulster rugby from a fans' perspective should be there. That's yeah. what's going to drive Ulster rugby, and I think if we don't have that, those expectations. It doesn't motivate the players as much. I, I'll be really honest with you. I know everybody thinks their supporters are the best, but I genuinely do think that Ulster supporters, right? And I think it, it, it did start right back in, in 99. You know, we did, I, personally, I do believe we did change uh, Ulster rugby support in a massive way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I remember from the early games that we played, having very little support to it building up. And we've also rugby's maintained that over all these years through the successes and I suppose the failures as well. They've yeah. always maintained that. So also rugby, you know, has a great support uh, with that. Um, and in regards to that, I mean, interesting. You talked about sort of the transition piece. That's always going to be tough for players. Uh, I we as a company actually do a transition piece for developed out of actually transitioning from the sports world into uh, what they call the real world. Yeah. We developed a process for that, um, but actually to help people from transitioning from one career to another. It mm-hmm. wasn't just about sport. Yeah. And we do that with, with quite a number of people, uh, but it's but it's geared up around sport. Uh, yeah. If there's any other players that would, uh, you know, even just, it's more a conversation as much as anything else. And it's just getting people to understand um, the process uh, the process that we that, that, that predominantly I've developed over the years has been around actually not about what you're going to do, but why you're going to do it. And yeah. that's one of the biggest challenges. People, ex-players worry about what they're going to do yeah. and not why they're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so their their heads get filled with, with the reality of that. I think the challenge for a lot of guys now, unfortunately, 
I think there's going to be massive positives come out of the back of the coronavirus um, yeah. outbreak. Mm-hmm. I think for some players, though, unfortunately, it may be their last games of rugby they played, yeah. which is a, which is a sad thing. And I think the challenge will always be is with these things now is is that you have a window to showcase yourself at the end of a season. Uh, you know, you often talk about it in boxing matches. The last thirty seconds of a round are really important because that's what the judges remember. Yeah, I think unfortunately for a lot of players as well as the last number of games within a season or in that sort of January, February window, uh, February, March window are the opportunities to shine for new contracts and for, for bits and pieces. So I think that's going to be tough for some players as well yeah. uh, in terms of getting new contracts and things. And what that actually looks like in the future for clubs, whether the clubs have the financial wherewithal to continue with the level they were at um, and these things. So yeah, yeah, some tough times ahead, but some positive times ahead as well. Yeah, I like that perspective of, um, I suppose you've you've been there and had that setback of sort of coming back and having difficulty and that fight to get back in the team. And uh, yeah, it will be a, a time for, for players to develop that resilient mindset uh, in terms of a lot of players will have to fight for to justify their, their, their contract um, after all of this. We just don't know what form that will take in terms of, you know, Ulster and, and every rugby team will be in financial difficulty as a result of all of this. And um, it's how players respond and how they behave in this uh, interim period before we return to normality. And a lot of que- a lot of players will be asked, as you're saying, uh, about uh, in terms of transitioning People will have to ask themselves why they're doing this. Is it for what, for what reason they're doing this, and how badly do they want that as well? Yeah, I'll give a final a final plug to to your business. So effective now is uh, is is what you're working at, and um, no, it sounds like really interesting work you're doing. And yeah, it was it was really interesting to, to speak to you, and uh, a real pleasure. It's been, to, fan- uh, it's been fantastic. I, I, you get to a certain point in time, you see where it's uh, for me. You know, rugby's a, a sort of professional rugby's a distant, a distant memory. I always love chatting about it. And that's, yeah. I think that's why it's always great with things like this to reminisce because yeah. it is. You know, they were, they were definitely the, the best times. And I think it, you'll speak to a lot of the guys. You know, and if you if you do some of this stuff, the likes of the Jan Cunninghams of this world and, and guys, they will tell you it was it was a great time in, in yeah. life. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think we were the ones that benefited the most because we were the fortunate amateurs that turned professional. Yeah. Whereas yeah. these days, there isn't that sort of thing. So I think the reality being is is that we we got the best of it. Uh, we certainly got the best of it in terms of the early days of professional rugby. Oh yeah. Well, it, in terms of you players, obviously had a great time. But for us as fans, do you know I remember that's my sort of first vivid rugby memory of going down to see that final and. Um, uh, great memories, and uh, since then, you know, we went to every home game with dad, and it's a great thing for families and stuff, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. As you say, like that '99 final, not to go on about it too much, but it it increased the popularity of the sport. I remember going to Ulster games before that and after that, and exponentially, the the attendance has gone up. It's a it's a hugely professional operation now. Kingspan's fantastic facility, and you'd wonder um, how the course of Ulster rugby would be different uh, if it wasn't for for you know that that squad in, in, 90, in 99 so thank thank you and thank you for your your time it was a it was a real pleasure and really interesting to to hear you talk about it not a problem i think peter that is wine o'clock so it's, uh, <laughs> i'll not hold you back from that <laughs> it's it's it's, fr- it's friday evening um i think the, the one thing that coronavirus has done 
He's uh, certainly uh, up the intake of alcohol consumption in Scotland. It didn't need it, to be fair. <laughs> but uh, on that note, look, thanks a million. Always great to chat. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, hopefully some of the people listening, uh, you know, got something from that. They'll love it. They'll love it. And thank you so much again. And uh, maybe speak to you again at some point. Sounds good. Okay. Cheers, Peter. Thanks, Mark. Bye-bye.